Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. For the July 31st worship service, Pastor Andrew was again on vacation, and the Reverend John Chapel is filling in to bring the word in this Sunday sermon. A reminder that our services are available in their entirety on our YouTube channel, where the which is linked in the podcast notes. And we would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available using your favorite podcasting app or on our website. If you are feeling really generous, we would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings as you follow the link in the podcast notes to our online giving platform. And lastly, find us on Facebook or Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Our first scripture lesson comes from Jeremiah 8, chapter, verses 18 through 22. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not here? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Our next scripture comes from Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 5. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built. O virgin Israel, again you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant the vineyards of the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. The next passage is Jeremiah 32, verses 36 through 41. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, it is being given into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. See, I am going to gather them from all the lands to which I drove them in anger and wrath and in great indignation, which I will bring back to this place. And I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me for all time, for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, never to draw back from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so they, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. And the final lesson is from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is all the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. May we pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as I share in this hour, I ask that my thoughts be your thoughts and my words your words, and that our hearts would be open to that which you would have us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I told our Sunday school teacher, David Hoy, several weeks ago that I thought he was a sadist. And I thought he was a sadist because he had us read Jonathan Edwards' Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If you haven't read it, it's most uncomfortable. And then I was further convinced he was a sadist because he had us read the book of Jeremiah, which is nothing more than the Old Testament version of Jonathan Edwards' sermon. And then I was absolutely convinced he was a sadist because he made us read every single word of both of those pieces. David wasn't a sadist, not at all. He's been my Sunday school teacher for, what, seven years now? And he has a mantra that he returns to on a fairly regular basis, and that is very simply, sin has consequences. And certainly, as we read through both the book of Jeremiah and Edward's sermon, that became abundantly clear. But there's a second thing that really came out of those readings. And having to read them word by word, it became evident that the image of God as an angry God is not the whole story. Because you see, interspersed are messages of love and mercy and redemption. In Jeremiah, we heard these words, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place. And in Jeremiah 20, See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in a wrath, a whirlwind swirling down the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes his purposes. An angry God. It's in the book. It's right there. And then Jonathan Edwards presents a scary image 
that God holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath toward you burn like, burns like fire. You have offended him. You that remain in the unregenerate state, that is unsaved, God will execute the fierceness of his anger, implies that he will inflict wrath without pity. He will have no compassion on you. Why is God so angry in these texts? Edwards says, you have offended me. That is, we have offended God. This implies that it is our actions, not our person, with which God is angry. But we must remember that this angry God is the God of the Exodus, a God who saves, who destroys Israel's enemies, who made possible safe passage to the promised land, a God who is gracious, giving, as the text reminds us, giving them houses they did not build, Vineyards they did not plant. Wells they did not dig. But do you remember the rest of the Exodus story? How they were stubborn and hard-hearted people, often acting so ungraciously to the God who saved them. Yet, this angry God fulfilled his promise and gave them that land. From the time of King David to the time of Jeremiah, the people refused to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Most notably, idol worship. They turned their back on the God who brought them out of Egypt, who gave them the promised land. For 400 years, from the time of David to the time of Jeremiah, God sent prophets to warn them, to beg them to turn from their evil ways, but to no avail. How patient can God be? Wouldn't you be angry? We're studying the Lord's Prayer, a book by uh, Adam Hamilton. And we were talking about the very opening two words, our Father, or if you will, our parent. Haven't you ever been angry with your child, or your spouse, or a member of your family, or a close friend? Do you ever stop loving them, even though you were angry? Of course not. But you see, here's the thing that we need to understand. The stronger the emotional investment, the stronger the emotional response. From the very 
beginning of creation, God made us to be his people. That's the plan. It always has been. God wants us for his own. What is this purpose we read about in 2320? So we will be his people, and he will be our God. And who are God's people? Those who obey him, who refrain from idols, who worship him alone. And they rejected him, turned their back on him. If you will, they kept their evil ways, as Jonathan Edwards would put it. And what was God's solution to this disobedient people? If you read through those first 27, 28 chapters of Jeremiah, you will get many frightening images of the anger and the wrath of God, as you do in Edwards' sermon. And yet, what did God actually end up doing? He sent his people into exile in Babylon. He didn't devastate them. He devastated the land he gave them. Anyone who wanted to escape that destruction were to go with the people into exile in Babylon. He would save them. And he instructs them through the prophet that they are to take wives, to grow crops, to live out their time as they would in their own land. Read it in Jeremiah 29. You see, this angry God, who at times has every reason to be angry, is also a compassionate. Jeremiah 8, 18 through 21. You who are my comfort in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is our king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Yes, he's angry because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he wants what's best for us. He knows what is best for us. And all that he commands will make us content. Make for shalom. And we read Jeremiah 31, 1 through 5. 
God's redemption. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt again. You will take up your timbrels and go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their flute. Remember, this is the angry God. But he's a compassionate and loving God. That's who God is. And then God sent his final solution. His name is Jesus. Edwards, in between those horrifying images of what will happen to the unsaved, time and again offers to his listeners the grace and mercy of God in Christ. Here is but one example. And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown the door of mercy wide open and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming and are now in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sin in his own blood. This is who God is. This is what God is about. And we can't be confused about the images of God's anger that we find in the Old Testament because his character has been consistent from the very beginning. He loves us, he cares for us, he wants what's best for us, and if we don't straighten up, sometimes he has to take us behind the barn. <clears throat> but he has thrown open the door of mercy and grace and all that is required is we feel the need of him this is what the angry God offers to you and to me thanks be to God joys and concerns as we pray together this morning? Anyone that you'd like lifted up? Yes. 
Brenda Hawkins, a uh, former parishioner, uh, is in the hospital again. And mm -hmm. we're just praying for her, to, uh, for the doctors to help her and get her back home. Brenda Hawkins. Pardon? Brenda Hawkins. Okay. Matt Clark. He's in the hospital. Mac Clark. <clears throat> Come again. Mac Clark. Others. John Brooke. John Brooke. Brooks. Any others? Yes. Um, my mom, Gloria, and Brent, Vicki, and Gwen. Okay. Gloria Linda Rose, Vicki Fountain, and Gwen Smith. Smith. Okay. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It reminds us again and again and again of your profound love for us. And help us not to be deceived in some of the things that we hear or think are true. But you are a glorious and wondrous God who loves us desperately. And for that, we are so grateful. For we know that in Christ Jesus, you made that come in flesh. Who lived it out. Who died to prove it and we thank you we ask always that you be with us that we be reminded of your constant presence with us we need only think of you or speak to you and you are there listening and working for our well-being. We ask you, Lord, most especially to be with those whom we have lifted up in prayer at the beginning of this time. A special blessing on them, a special healing touch. We ask you to be with your church, and her leaders. Bless each and every one of us called to be your ministers of the gospel. May we live out our faith so that others might see you in us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.